Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of firstfruits of his creatures. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's go before him and ask for his help. Gracious Father, we do uh, come before you and we, we ask for your help. Um, especially this morning as we are talking about your word. Help us to be true and faithful to your word. And we pray even now that by your spirit you would give us a great amount of confidence as we sit beneath your word. Um, Would you remind us that by the power of your word you called everything that is into existence. Would you remind us that you spoke to our fathers and to the prophets long ago? Would you remind us that you spoke to us through your Son and that it was by the power of his voice, by the power of his word, that he spoke and the blind were made to see and the deaf were made to hear and the lame were made to walk and the dead came out of their tombs? And Father, would you heal us with your word this morning? Would you give us sight? Would you open our ears? Would you bring us to life through your word? This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So in the first chapter of James, this is going to be a real brief review because you kind of got to get this in context. But James was writing about life's inevitable trials, right? Um, The brokenness of this world, it is going to crash into all of our lives at some point. Um, it, it bears its jagged teeth and it's going to cut into your life at some point. Um, and James has been writing to say about these trials, he says, count it joy when you face these various trials. And he says, stay steadfast in the midst of your trials. And he's, he's saying, don't give up and keep looking at Jesus. And he's saying, if you do that in your trials, God will do something in your life. He'll, he'll change you. He'll transform you in the very midst of them, right? He'll make you whole and He'll make you strong and He'll make you courageous and He'll make you wise and compassionate and tender and merciful and all kinds of things we could talk about. But you know what? It it brings up a question. We've been hearing that for weeks. Um, And the question I think that it brings up and that brought up for James was, okay, that's fine, but where do you get the resources? Where do you get the strength? Where do you get the power to stand firm and be unshaken in the midst of these trials, in the midst of life's storms, and be changed in them? Um, Where do you get that power? 
25, 26 years ago, I guess, um, I, I was in the car with my dad, and we were traveling through the state of Arkansas, and I was looking at colleges, and so we were stopping off at a few colleges that I was looking at, and um, we were on the interstate in the middle of nowhere, Arkansas, um, which there's a lot of nowhere, Arkansas, if you've ever been there, but um, in the car we were we were in, all of a sudden, it just kind of started sputtering and and lurching, it just it didn't sound good, and then all of a sudden, completely went off. My dad coasted the car over to the shoulder, and um, and the car died right there. And uh, I, I should tell you, we are not a car family. My dad and I, we don't know anything about cars, um, but we did what you, I guess, what we thought we were supposed to do. We popped the hood and we looked underneath the hood, and uh, <laughs> like. Engine still looks like it's there, you know, j- jiggled a few wires or whatever. We didn't know what we were doing, but um, nothing happened. And th- I mean, this was a while ago. No cell phones. So we're walking. Um, we're walking on the interstate to the next exit, and we get to the next exit, and we, we come into the gas station, and we're explaining our situation to the guy there. We told him the whole story, I'm sure, complete with sound effects and all that kind of stuff. And we told him we, need, we needed a tow truck to come and pick up our car and, and tow it somewhere. And I'll never forget what this guy said because he said, I really don't think you need a, a tow truck. Um, what I really think you need is, is gas. Um, and it's a very humbling moment on my way to higher education. Um, but... But that was it, right? We were out of gas, and cars don't move without fuel, right? Um, it's fuel that provides the power to move, okay? And, and here's what James is saying. James is saying there is a resource, there is a power that's available to you. Um, there's a power that you need in order to make it through life's trials, and be changed in the midst of them. Uh, there's a power that's available to you to bring you life. There's a power available to, to cause life to flourish within you. And there's a power available to you to set you free and to be liberated, um, to be the person God made you to be. Um, and that power for James is God's Word, um, the Scriptures, the Bible. So, Let's look together at three things in this passage. Um, James says these three things, I think, in this, this passage. He says, first, that God's Word brings life. And then second, he says, God's Word brings growth. And then third, God's Word brings liberty. Life, growth, and liberty. All right, first, God's Word brings life. In verse 18, James wrote, of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth. I'm not going to deal with everything in verse 18 because Woody touched on some of it last week, but, but listen to that. He brought us forth by the word. That is the language of birth. He birthed us. He brought us to life by his word. And right away, James is telling us something incredibly unique about Christianity. He's saying that to become a Christian is to come alive. 
It's to be brought to life. It's to experience birth. It's to be born again. Um, Listen, that may be familiar language to you. It may be totally unfamiliar language to you. But it's the way the biblical authors speak about Christianity. Right? Peter wrote that Christians are those who have been born again of imperishable seed through the living and abiding Word of God. In 1 John, John talks about how Christians are born of God. Jesus told a man named Nicodemus that he had, in John chapter 3, that he had to be born again if he was going to enter God's kingdom. All throughout the Bible, this metaphor is used, and it's an incredible metaphor for explaining the uniqueness of Christianity because you think about your own birth, right? Being born isn't something you just decided to do one day. It's something that happened to you, right? And I don't want to come across as dismissive here, but just think about it. Think about how unique this is to Christianity and all the world religions. Because you can, you can make a decision and decide to start doing the, the Buddhist thing or the Islam thing or the Hindu thing. And it, I mean, it's fairly self-explanatory. You need to adopt some cer- certain customs, right, and practices, and maybe you need to start wearing certain clothes and eating certain foods and performing certain rituals and adopt a particular culture, and now you're Buddhist. Now you're Muslim. Now you're Hindu. Right? But James is saying Christianity doesn't work like that. It's not something you can do. It's something that happens to you. You know, over the years, I've seen a lot of people try to approach Christianity just like they would any of these other religions. And they tell themselves, you know, it's, it's time for me to get my life in order. And so I've decided I'm going to start doing the Christian thing. And so they'll try to adopt certain practices that they think are particular to Christianity. And they'll say, well, I'm going to start going to church on Sunday. And I'm going to start dressing the way the people dress there on Sundays. And I'm going to go to the midweek small group Bible study or or whatever. And I'm going to do all these things. And I've seen this happen a lot that often those people disappear after a few weeks. And they leave disillusioned with it all. Why? Because they thought Christianity was something you do. And James is saying it's, it's really not. It's something that happens to you. To become a Christian is to be born and it is to be brought to life by God's Word. And listen, last weekend I had the privilege of uh, going back to Memphis to officiate uh, a wedding uh, for a couple. And, you know, being a minister and getting to participate in those things is one of the coolest things I get to do. It's just a lot of fun to be able to celebrate that stuff. But... This one was particularly fun for me, and here's why. This girl that was getting married two or three years ago, um, young, college-aged woman, um, showed up at our church in Memphis, and, and she was not a Christian. She was hurt. She was lost. Um, her life felt empty, but she wasn't a believer. And, um, and one day after a worship service, she came up to me and said, I need to talk to you. I was like, oh no, what's this going to be about? And um, so we set up a time to talk. And, um, 
And she basically said this. The first thing that she said was, I've been wanting to talk to you because I think I became a Christian. And that's an incredibly unique way to talk about Christianity. I mean, because what she's saying is she's saying, something happened to me. And I need you to help me understand it. Right? I'm not the same person. And it was, it was really cool to get to be a part of that wedding, even at the rehearsal dinner, to hear her kind of tell this story to her friends and family. You know, two years ago, this wasn't me. And then something happened. And I met Jesus. And I'm changed. And I'm a new person. And, and when, when she was telling that story, I, I remember it, it reminded me of... The story of St. Augustine that, that you might have heard, right? When he became a Christian and he came out of this life of just a lot of sexual promiscuity. And, and one day after he had become a Christian, he was walking down the street and one of his former lovers was trying to get his attention and called out to him and said, Augustine, it is I. And he turned around and he said, yes, but it's not I, Right? I mean, he was saying, something happened to me. I, I'm different. I'm changed. I'm a new person. I've been brought to life. Now, now how did that young woman that, that I was talking about, and Augustine, how, how, did, how did this happen, right? You, you can get online and you can, you can read Augustine's story on, on your own about his new birth. And it's the same story as this young woman. It's basically this, that God opened their ears to hear this word of truth that James is talking about in verse 18, right? It happened when they heard God's word, not as information anymore, but when they heard God's word and it became real to them, right? See, you may have grown up in church all your life and you know all the stories and maybe you just know them as information, right? It's when that word becomes real to you, when it's no longer theory and it's no longer an abstraction to you, but it's solid and concrete and real. This is speaking to me. You know, the great reformer Martin Luther, um, I couldn't find this quote, but I, I know I read this. He, he talked about how God's word, it all turns on one little syllable, he said. And it's the pronoun me or my, right? Jesus came to give his life for me to understand that. His death on the cross swallowed up all my sins. I am loved in him completely. And James is saying that's the power that's available to you. God works through his word to bring you to life and it's not something you can do. It's something that has to happen to you. And listen, we got to move on to the second point, but that is incredibly humbling and free at the same time to realize that. Because you had nothing to do with your new life. It is all of grace. You weren't saved by being good or smart or right or, or whatever. And listen to this. If you didn't earn God's grace by your works, then neither can you lose it by your bad works. You really are that free in Him. He brought you forth to life 
through the word of truth. All right, second, God's word brings growth. James is saying in verses 19 through 21 that God's word is not only a power to bring you from death to life, but it's also a power that brings real growth into your life. See, in verse 21, James wrote about the implanted word. And we're switching metaphors a bunch this morning, so just prepare yourself for it. But he's switching the metaphor from birth to to an agricultural metaphor, right? Um, Implanted word. And that word implanted, it's a very unique word. It's the only time in the entire Bible that it shows up, and it's here. And James is saying God's word, he's saying it's like a seed that gets planted deep within you. And for it to blossom and flourish, you've got to keep receiving God's word with meekness or humility, he writes later on in those verses, right? Now, now just give me just a couple of minutes here so, so I can help you follow James' argument. Because one of the unique things about James is that he's so practical in the way he's talking to the, these people who are reading this letter, that sometimes it's a bit hard to follow because he's giving concrete application here. So see, in verse 18, that we just talked about, James is talking about God's Word, the Word of truth. And then he's very clearly talking about God's Word again by the time he gets down to verse 21, and he writes about the implanted Word. But what about verses 19 and 20, Right? All, this talk, all of a sudden, he's talking about anger and being quick to hear and slow to speak and all this stuff about what sinful anger produces in your life, right? Filthiness, rampant wickedness, and not the righteousness that God requires. Um, and, and on the surface, it just looks like James is uh, maybe ADHD or something. Like he's bouncing around to different subjects, right? Um, and now he's on a totally different subject. He just had to get this thing out about anger. Um, But that's not what James is doing. What he's doing is incredibly genius, uh, if you think about it. Here's what he's saying. Say, you and I, we typically think that if we find ourselves getting angry, then we have a self-control problem, right? We tend to think that the opposite of anger is self-control. But James is saying, actually, if you find yourself getting angry, you don't have a self-control problem. You've got a pride problem, is what James is saying. James is saying the, the opposite of anger is humility or meekness. Is, let's kind of pull it together here. You see, he's saying don't be angry in a way that leads to all these unrighteous things. Verse 21, instead, put that away and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. Now listen, I'm not saying, and James is not saying, that there's, there isn't such a thing as righteous anger. There is. God gets angry. Jesus gets angry over injustice and oppression and wickedness, and so should we. But what about when we're sinfully angry? Because that's more common to our experience in this life, Right? We're talking about the anger that really bubbles to the surface in your life or that that quick fuse that gets struck when you get passed over for something at work and, and somebody else gets the recognition that you're so desperately craving. The anger that that sparks when your spouse criticizes something about you. 
right? Or when things in life just don't turn out the way you thought they were supposed to turn out. Or what about the bitterness and the grudges and the resentment that just churns in our guts, right, over feeling slighted in life? Where we're feeling like everyone else is doing just fine and well, but it seems like we can't seem to catch a break. James is saying, when you see that kind of anger come up in your life, you better be on the lookout for pride. Because it's pride that gives way to anger when you can't hear criticism. It's pride that gives way to anger when you think you know so clearly what everyone else deserves and what you deserve in life. It's pride that gives way to anger when you're convinced you always know what's best. It's pride that gives way to anger when it's clear that you aren't in control of your life. James is saying you have to use your relationships with others as a diagnostic because there is something huge at stake. Right? He's saying if you're unwilling to listen to others, if you're never open to correction by others... If you shut down with anger when you're criticized, if you're a proud person out there in your relationships, you're not going to be able to come under God's word with humility. True, deep, and real growth will only blossom and flourish when you learn to come under God's word with humility. Charles Spurgeon, a great Baptist preacher, um, he would talk about how there's an ocean of wood in the acorn's cup. Right In that little seed, he's saying, is all the DNA necessary for filling the whole earth in a forest of oak trees. That word implanted in you, for it to blossom and fill your life with flourishing, you have to receive this word with humility. Now, I'm going to switch metaphors up on you again. Uh, Sorry about that. But um, on my graduation night, from high school, um, I went to a graduation party, and I got in one of these big uh, moon bounce things, these jump houses things that are filled up with air, and um, I was playing in there with some of my friends. We were playing way too rough. We, you know, we we're 18-year-olds. We shouldn't be in bouncy houses, but um, I ended up dislocating my neck. So my C3, C4 vertebrae up here in my neck, one hopped on top of the other, um, and, um, and I was pretty out of it for a day or so when they were doing all the surgeries. So they, they finally came in and they cut a piece of this uh, vertebrae off and pulled it apart and then took a piece of my hip out and put it in between and fused all that stuff together. Um, but you, you know when I woke up from, from surgery? I woke up when they were putting, on, putting this halo vest on me. Um, you may, remember, these are the things, maybe you've seen them before where they, they put these screws into your head here and here and they screw in about an eighth of an inch and, um, and then they're attached to a halo which is attached to these bars attached to this vest so it immobilize uh, your spine there and um, a lot of it I don't remember very clearly but I do remember waking up to them tightening those screws in my skull and I woke up screaming in pain. And through the fog, I remember one of the doctors telling me, I know it hurts, but it's really, really important that you be still while we finish this. Um, And that was really, really hard uh, to be still when somebody's screwing screws into your skull. Um, Disoriented, 
and a lot of pain, hard to be still for that surgery. You know what James is saying? And I know I'm switching up metaphors here, but he's saying God is like a surgeon. And like a good surgeon, he only cuts with his knife in order to heal you and make you whole. And his knife is his word. The author of Hebrews, right, calls God's word a living and active double-edged sword. And here's the thing. If you're an angry, proud person, you can't be still under his knife. If you're fighting against his word and you're wiggling and you're squirming to get off of his table and out from under his knife, you're going to make a mess of everything he intends to do in your life. It takes humility to both search the Scriptures and be searched by the Scriptures. And you and I need both. We need to search God's Word and we need it to be searched by His Word if we're going to grow. You find, where do you find the humility to do that, to be still on the surgeon's table? You find that humility by remembering you didn't become a Christian because you were right or good or smarter or whatever. You were brought forth by the word of truth. You find that humility by remembering that you are broken by sin, but you are loved by God through His Son, Jesus. And the more His love becomes real to you, the easier easier you'll find it to be still on His table as He takes up His word to heal you and to set you free and to make you whole. All right, finally, let's come to the last point. God's Word brings life, it brings growth, but finally God's Word brings liberty. James wrote in verse 22, Be doers of the Word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. And then James gave a little parable and this illustration in the verses that follow. And he's saying in that parable, he's saying God's Word is like a mirror. And his whole point is that you need to take the mirror with you wherever you go. It needs to always be in front of your face. Right? He's saying, don't take a look in the mirror and then walk away from it. He's saying, keep looking in the mirror, verse 24, so that you don't forget what you're like. So that you don't forget who you are. The mirror shows you reality. It's a true reflection of who you really are. Now, Let me be honest with you for a moment. Well, I've I've been being honest, but uh, really honest. Um, (laughs) Don't you think I was trying to deceive you earlier? Um, I used to to read these verses, and I, I used to read them through a pretty significant filter of shame. And, and so here's how I read these verses. I, I read, be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Look in this mirror to be reminded of how ugly and how screwed up you are. And how far short you fall, right? And what a disappointment you are. And use this mirror to remind you, basically, you better get your act together. And guess what? When I read it that way, (laughs) this perfect law that James wrote about in verse 25, it it didn't really feel like a law of liberty to me. It didn't feel very free to me to hear it like that. 
I mean, even my attempts to be a doer and to be obedient, right, it, it felt like it just highlighted more and more all of my shortcomings, and it didn't feel liberating. And the reason I, I take a little bit of time to, to share that with you is because I have a feeling that some of you in here, maybe not everybody, but some of you can relate to that. Um, it, I mean, even if you're unfamiliar with these verses, a lot of you are probably familiar with the feeling of what it is to look at God's Word only to be reminded of how far short you fall and hearing it telling you to get your act together. Um, But listen to me. That is not what James is saying in these verses. It's not what James is getting at. He wants you to look in the mirror so that you can see who you really are so you can have a reflection of who see a reflection of who you really are and you are more than just broken and fallen you are also loved and adored and delighted in by your father and my guess is that a lot of you who are like me you have a hard time remembering that that's who you really are And you need a mirror in front of your face all day long, every day, to be reminded of who you really are. Yes, God's Word will show you where where you and I fall short. But what what if God's Word isn't even primarily about you? And just a hint, it's not. The Bible is primarily about God and about His unfailing never-ending, perfect, and complete love and commitment to the people He adores. Over and over, the Bible is telling us we are more broken than we can imagine. But it's also telling us we are more loved beyond what we could compare. And all the time we're forgetting this, who we really are broken and loved. And it's only by intently looking into that mirror to see Both how we're broken and also how we're loved. It's only by intently binding yourself to that truth of who you really are that you begin to find out how the law can also be liberty to you and freedom. Real quick as I prepare to end here, when James uses that word deceive uh, in verse 22, I think it's a loaded word for him. Um, Because what I think he's thinking is he's thinking about the Bible story In Genesis chapter 3, when Adam and Eve fell into sin and how they were deceived by the serpent. Right? You remember that story? How the serpent came with this deception. And this paraphrase, but he was basically saying, Adam and Eve, you aren't free. God's holding out on you. Right? How could you possibly be free in submitting to him? Everything in your life. And so they took the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And the moment they stepped out from under God's authority, everything fell apart. And all true, real freedom was lost in that moment. And sin and guilt and shame and hiding and ruin and misery came into the world. And God's perfect world started, and his, his people started coming apart at the seams. And you remember what God did? 
He banished them from the garden. Kicked them out. And he put an angel with this fiery flashing sword of judgment there to guard the way back to the tree of life. But here's what the Bible says in Genesis chapter 3 and going forward. It says God had a plan. That so great was his love for his broken creation that he would send his own son into this world. And God's fiery, flashing sword of justice and judgment would fall on him and cut him to shreds so that you would never have to go under that sword. He came to set you free. Free from God's judgment, but listen, also free to come under God's authority again and live under Him, which is the only place of real, true freedom. And when you get that, the law becomes transformed to you and it no longer stands to condemn you. And it's transformed from duty into delight. Listen, 18 years ago, I bought my first dog, a chocolate lab. And um, labs, as most of you know, they're bred for the water. They even have the, the webbing in their feet, right? They're made for the water, and it's in their blood. Well, when I bought this lab, a few months after, um, after she was born, I took her out to this friend's pond, and I was going to teach her how to swim. So I took her out there, and I tried everything I could to coax her to get in, Nothing doing. She didn't want anything to do with it. Um, you know, I threw sticks and pine cones and all kind of trying to get her to chase them out in the water. She wouldn't go, so I went back home. Then a week later, I went back out and she got her little paws wet. She still wasn't having anything to do with the water. Um, tried again to coax her to get in and all that kind of stuff. A week later, I went back again. Right this time, I took her there. She got maybe her legs wet this time, kind of stand, waiting there a little bit. And then I took off my shoes and socks and I got in the water, tried to get her to come to me. Didn't want anything to do with it. She just stood on the bank and cried. And I remember going home thinking, I have a defective lab. Um, I just threw away $500 uh, on this dog or whatever it was. I can't even remember. But so the next time I went out there, went out, did the whole thing, throwing stuff for her, I got in the water again. And this time, she got in. And listen, she had to have swam for at least 30 minutes before ever taking a break. I mean, she got in that water and she figured out, this is what I was made for. And she was free. She was liberated, right? I mean, the hardest thing of that day was getting her out of the water, right? Because she figured out, this is what I was made for. And James is saying, come to God through Jesus and you'll find the law transformed from duty into delight. You are made to be under God's authority. And that is when you are most free. James ends verse 25, and this is where we're going to end, by saying this, a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. That's what you were made for. That's what we were all made for. Amen. Let's pray together.